Welcome to the Chase Podcast. Dr. Ron Charles is a renowned archaeologist, author, historian, speaker, missionary, and is known as the Christian Indiana Jones. Dr. Charles has spent over 50 years researching and uncovering truths about Jesus Christ and information that proves the historical authenticity of the Bible. Gleaned from his years of tireless research, ministry, and archaeological work as the pages of the Bible come to life like never before. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and information about this global ministry. Hi, I'm Dr. Ron Charles of the Cubit Foundation. Glad you tuned in today. You know, one of the statements that has been um, used by the world in reference to uh, Christianity and people that are uh, claiming to be believers in Christ is the fact of, am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to take care of someone that is in need uh, if they're not uh, part of the same religion that I'm part of, if they're not part of the same uh, the same uh, denomination that I am, if they don't believe the way that I do? Basically, it's not my responsibility. I'm not my brother's keeper. Now, where do we get that from? Or primarily, that particular statement and that that whole argument comes from Genesis, from the time of Cain and Abel. In Genesis number four, uh, we'll begin to read verse number eight. It says, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? And so that statement was the origin of that particular philosophy. <clears throat> you know, when, uh, when Gregory the Great in the 7th century walked out on the Colosseum in Rome, and the Colosseum by that time had not been used for over 300 years. But he reached down and he got a handful of dirt and squeezed it and blood came out and ran down his arm and, and dripped down into the, um, onto the ground. And everyone thought that it was a great miracle that God has spoken through Gregory the Great about uh, uh, that he was indeed supposed to be the Pope. But when you consider all the blood that was spilt at that time and up to that time, it was not a miracle at all. Because we were excavating a Roman amphitheater in the city of Duras, Albania. And it was, uh, those of you who remember uh, the movie about Ben-Hur, you had a, a kind of an oval shape, a rectangular shape arena where they had the chariot races. Well, that's the same type of arena that we had in Duras, Albania. And in that arena, not only did they have the chariot races, but they also had the gladiator games where over 5,000 Christians lost their lives. Uh, and also, in addition to that, 
many thousands of animals. And one, uh, one of the things they used to do is that they had the, uh, the days, what they called the days of 28. And they had 28 consecutive days where they would bring animals into the arena and the spectators would be given bows and arrows and spears and that type of thing. And then at a, at a given time when the organizer of the games would drop a, a, a handkerchief, then they would start killing all the animals. And then after all the animals were dead, the Christians went in and they could drag the animals back out. And then you could see if you can kill the Christians who were trying to drag the animals out. And any Christian who survived, then he could, he, he could stay alive until it was his time to do it next time. And so there was so much blood that was soaked up in the ground at that time that uh, even uh, a thousand years or 1500 years after the last of the games, you could get, uh, you put a probe in the floor of that particular uh, amphitheater and you could still get crystallized blood from the soil that was uh, three feet deep. And that's how much blood that was spilled. And the word that was used here, and by my brother's keeper, the word that was used indicated what it meant was, am I the keeper of my brother's blood? Am I responsible for his life? Am I responsible for uh, to making sure that he survives, in other words? And that's the same idea that we have here. Are we responsible for the blood of our brothers? And not only our brothers in, uh, with natural bloodlines, but brothers as far as, uh, as uh, Christianity is concerned, as far as the brotherhood of mankind is concerned. Are we responsible for that? And that's the age-old question that has been since the time of Adam and Eve Cain and Abel. Are we responsible for the blood of you? And so that question, not only was it not answered at that time directly by God, neither is it answered now. But indirectly, God told Cain, said, you are very much, you are very much responsible for the blood of your brother." for your, the blood of Abel. says, you are responsible to make sure that he lives correctly, that he lives at all, that he is uh, able to go from uh, one stage of life to the other. You absolutely are. Yes, he's responsible for his own, that is true, but you're responsible also to help him to make those decisions and go from one area to another, from one step to another, from one facet of life to another. And the same goes for our lives today. Because today we still are have to answer that question, am I my brother's keeper? You know, if we did answer the question the way God intended for us to answer the question, then 
the three feet of blood would not have been necessary. The three feet of blood in the arenas would not have been the case. The millions and millions and millions of gallons of blood that have been spilt in countless wars and revolutions and, and insurrections throughout the world uh, would not have happened because we would be responsible for the welfare of those that were uh, actually fighting. And so today we have to ask the question, am I my brother's keeper? I guess, first of all, we have to answer the question, who is my brother? And second, we have to answer the question, am I the keeper of my brother once I identify who my brother is? Unfortunately, we in the Western world have a, uh, have a stigma, and we call that uh, uh, church doctrine, church theology, uh, church tradition, church denomination. You don't see it much in the uh, overseas and the overseas churches. Over there, you, uh, you generally have a Christian, and then you have Islam or Buddhist or whatever. Uh, you don't have a lot of uh, division among the, among the Christian churches. Over here in America, Canada, and portions of South America, you do have that denomination. You do have those divisions of Christianity that you don't have in uh, some of the other countries. And so, but still the question has to be answered. Are we our brother's keeper? Many times we say, okay, so I am responsible to care for widows that are in my church. We're responsible to care for orphans that are in my church, my denomination. We're responsible to care for uh, the military that out of my church have to go overseas and fight. But I'm not responsible for the other churches. I'm not responsible for the other denominations. But God made it very specific. Yes, you are. If you call yourself a believer in Christ, if you call yourself a believer in God, then you are responsible to whoever else believes in God, period. And it doesn't matter what denomination they are. It doesn't matter who they are, what nationality they are. It doesn't matter even what uh, what what belief system that they have. We're responsible to care. We're responsible to give. We're responsible to meet their needs. And as I have stated many times before, that I'm a real advocate and a believer in what Charles Finney, the great uh, uh, 18th century revivalist in New England, what he said, he said, love is meeting people at their point of need, regardless of what that need may be. Are we a people of love? Well, if we are people of love, then we don't care what denomination the other person is. We don't even care whether they're believers or not. 
They could be atheist, but if they're in need, love is caring for them. Love is ministering to them. Because if we care for them, if we minister to them, if we take care of them, then that itself is a fulfillment of what the scriptures say that we must do. That yes, we are our brother's keepers. If that statement has ever been a question in our minds, as that statement has ever been a question in the minds of who, whoever is out there in the audience, then it's easily answered. Yes, you are. You are your brother's and your sister's keeper. Regardless of who you are, you are. Because our responsibility is to show love. Our responsibility is to be love to those people. Our responsibility is to be Christ to them and do what Jesus would do, say what Jesus would say, and respond to them the way Jesus would respond to them. Okay, how is that? Well, how did Jesus respond to people? How did Jesus respond to sinners? He said, bring them to me. And then Jesus accepted them the way they were at that time, who they were. And then he showed them a better way. For the sick, Jesus says, don't stick them off over in the corner. Bring them to me. You know, many times in Christian churches, I've seen this my own self. When I've seen people that are having a uh, epileptic seizure or some type of seizure, they put them over in the corner someplace and uh, uh, deal with them or us take them outside and so that they won't disrupt the service. But Jesus said, bring them to me. Bring them to me. And he touched them. He healed them. And the same way for us today, nothing is new. Nothing is any different than what it was at the time of Jesus as far as love and compassion is concerned. Society, yes. Traditions, yes. But as far as love compassion and what Jesus would do. No, nothing's changed. Jesus said, bring them to me regardless of what they believe, regardless of who they are, regardless of their social condition, their social status, and regardless of what they are, who they are, where they are, bring them to me and I will minister to them. We must do the same. It can't be helped. It can't be compensated for. It can't be uh, watered down. It can't be rearranged. It's just very simple. Love is meeting people at their point of need, regardless of what that need may be. And so if we are to love, then we have one obligation. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. We are the ones who pay attention to what happens to their blood. We are the one that pays attention what happens to their life, what happens to their family, what happens to their, uh, to their, uh, uh, their status, what happens to them individually. We are responsible. In today's world, we say, oh, well, I, I don't want to get involved with that. I, I, don't, I don't want to... Uh, uh, get involved with someone's personal business. Well, and, and I understand that. 
And this is a concern in our uh, 21st century that we don't want to be involved or be pushy in someone else's business. But there are times that it becomes necessary for us to be involved with other people's business, even though it may be an unpopular type thing to do. When we see someone that's, that's in danger, uh, we really aren't concerned about whether we're they're offended or not. I mean, we go to the rescue of someone that is in danger. And such is the case with our lives and the keeping uh, and by my brother's keeper, the same type of thing. And so whenever we are faced with that scenario on what we, uh, that what is best for us, what is best for uh, the person that is, uh, in which we're addressing, uh, what is best for the scenario which we were involved, then we have to come to the conclusion that what is best for that person, what is best for this circumstance within the arena of, am I my brother's keeper? Welcome to Canaan, a small indigenous community here on the west coast of Colombia. In recent years, Canaan has grown tremendously. The people here have a heart for God and for sharing His love. This is where the Cubit Foundation does their work. Over the years, Cubit has worked on developing the community in many ways, and by doing so, they've developed personal relationships and bonds that will last a lifetime. Lo recibimos con mucho amor, recibimos con mucho aprecio, con mucho afecto, porque sabiendo que si esta persona viven tan lejos, no nos conoce y nos viene a visitar, eso para nosotros es muy satisfactorio y, y, y toca mi corazón de una manera especial. Brad Charles is one of the leaders behind Cubit and their work in Canaan, Colombia. His passion is for helping people in need around the world and doing God's work out here on the mission field. The Cubit Foundation has done some incredible work here thus far, and God's presence is truly evident. 
relationships with local Colombian churches, Cubit has taken part in service to the village of Canaan. And with your help, Cubit will continue to serve them and many more around the world. When people give to Cubit, I want them to go. I want them to go with me. And I want them to experience this. Lo imposible para el hombre es posible para Dios. To find out more and to become a part of what Cubit is doing here in Colombia, log on to cubitfoundation.org. That's cubitfoundation.org. So basically, when we talk about am I my brother's keeper, you're talking about relationship like a blood relative or a blood relationship. Am I the keeper of person that's the same family, the same blood origin, the same, uh, the, the, the same race as myself? So basically, it, you, it doesn't, there's no separation. There's no separation in saying, okay, I will take care of strictly uh, Christian. I'll take care of strictly Catholic. I'll take care of strictly Orthodox. I'll take care of strictly Muslim. It's, it's not that way. When God says for us to be concerned about our brothers, yes, we are concerned about our brothers in Christ, but it also means person of the same blood. And so when, we, when James tells us to care for the widows and to care for the orphans, then it means exactly that. There's no distinction. There's no distinction on class. There's no distinction on nationality. There's no distinction on, uh, on national origin. There's just needs. So if, you're, if this widow is in need, you meet the need. If this orphan is in need, you meet the need. And so it's just like, am I my brother's keeper? Which means, am I the same blood as you? And then yes, I am. And if that's the case, then I am responsible to care for you if you are in need. And so we have been ministering in the Middle East now for uh, almost 30 years. And it's very difficult to find uh, fellow Christians in their area. And those that you do find many times are persecuted, persecuted to the point of death. But we deliver food to widows that are not Christian. We deliver uh, help to orphans that are not Christian. And those that are in need of whatever we have, we deliver to those people but we always deliver it in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ. And they realize that this is from them and that we are caring for them. We love them in the name of Jesus. And that way it makes a major, major impact on their life. Some of them don't come to Christ immediately. Some of them don't come to Christ for many years, but eventually they will ask, well, why do you care? Why do you love us so much? What, what, what makes you come back 
and give us this food day in and day out, week in and week out, then we can tell them it's because Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. And we are representing him on this earth. So it is our responsibility to also love you as he loves you, to care for you as he cared for you, and to us to absorb you in our love and in our compassion the way that Jesus would. And so the statement was made, am I my brother's keeper? Absolutely, we are. We are our brother's keepers. Regardless of what we are, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our denomination, regardless of our national identity, regardless of our uh, social identity. If you're in need, then it's our responsibility to try to meet that need. And you know, in the Islamic world, it's not allowed for you to be the aggressor. You cannot uh, commit, you cannot ask them to uh, about Jesus Christ. You can't instigate a conversation about Jesus, but you can answer. So if you are continually giving this type of help and you're continually helping these people over and over and over again, eventually they will ask you, well, why do you do this? Why do you love us so much? Why are you taking care of us? And then you're allowed then to respond. You're allowed to, uh, to answer that question that's been given to you. And so you can tell them that when they ask, says, well, because Jesus told us to. Well, how did Jesus tell you to do that? And then you're allowed then to respond to them how Jesus loves you. That opens the door for evangelism. It opens the door for you to tell them about Jesus, how he died for them, how he uh, how he bled for them, how the stripes that were laid upon him for their healing, and that how that he loves them regardless of who they are, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their background. And then with that, that opens the door for evangelism, that you can tell them about Christ. Of course, they also opens the door for them to receive Christ, but when they do, they most likely will suffer some type of persecution, some type of, of a belittling on their part. Uh, many times there are people, uh, they'll, they'll be taken uh, to areas that they don't want to be in, such as the garbage cities of the city, in the villages that are strictly set aside for Christians, where they're uh, imprisoned by the military, by the religious police that they can't get out, that they are stuck there for the cause of Christ. But yet, these people so many times, so many times, they are proud of the fact that they have accepted Jesus, realizing what will happen to them, realizing that they go through uh, this uh, horrible experience of rejection, rejected by their family, rejected by their community, rejected by their people, but yet they willingly do so. They willingly go through that because they realize that Jesus loves them. And Jesus loves them far beyond anything that they could ever possibly imagine. Anything they've ever experienced before, Jesus loves them. And they feel it, 
They know it, they understand it, and they're willing to give their life for that Christ. And they do, many of them. Now we have been going throughout the world asking people to pray for the persecuted believers. And we'd like for you to pray the same way. Many of these people accept Jesus and never again hear anything about him. And so we ask that you remember those people in prayer. They're not asking for deliverance. They're not asking for food. They're not asking for means of transportation. What they're asking for is this, that they can live one more day, that they have the grace to forgive their oppressors. And number three, that they can tell one person about Jesus before they die. And so five minutes a day is all we're asking, and that will make a world of difference in their lives. The Chase with Dr. Ron Charles is sponsored by supporters of the Cubit Foundation. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and discover how you can support this global ministry.